Studios of WORQ in Wisconsin. This is the Stand Up for the Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations. The ripping remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up for the Truth. Good morning, a fresh new podcast today. On the calendar, Tuesday, September 26, 2023. I'm Crash Connell. Got a comment yesterday. At comments at standfortheTruth.com said they like Crash Cornell. It's Connell, C O N N E L. But they did get your name right, Mary Danielson. Um, with an E. <laughs> yes, Danielson with an E, not S O N. And all right, we got a lot to cover today, so let's get underway. Yeah, we do. Uh, good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we appreciate your tuning in for these podcasts. We are welcoming back Jonathan Brentner to the podcast. We have a few topics to cover, uh, so I will introduce him in just a couple of minutes. But I have a scripture passage for today, as always. Psalm 5, 1 to 6, one of my favorites, and it says, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray, my voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight, you hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Heavy stuff. Let's pray. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we thank you so much for another day to serve you. We ask that the meditations of our hearts and the words that we speak would be edifying and a blessing uh, to those that we encounter. We desire to walk ever closer to you and to be sensitive uh, to your spirit as you lead and guide us. Help us not to slumber or sleep at this late hour. Uh, we lift up our guest Jonathan to you and ask for protection and provision that he would see your hand in all things and for protection on his health and that of his loved ones. In Jesus' name, amen. We have, like I said, Jonathan Brentner is back with us. He's an author, speaker, writer, and former pastor. His blog is called Our Journey Home, and it's found at jonathanbrentner.com. It's full of uh, what I would call thoughtful articles that reflect uh, a true and deep longing for the rapture and the righteous kingdom of Jesus Christ. Uh, the post from September 23rd is entitled, How Much Longer Can It Be? And I think that will resonate with a lot of our listeners. His books, Triumph of the Redeemed and Cancel This, What Today's Church Can Learn from the Bad Guys of the Bible, can be found at Amazon.com. And you can read the summaries of the books at his website again, JonathanBrentner.com. Welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth, Jonathan. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I look forward to, to talking with you about these issues of Great. the day. Yeah, there's always something, isn't there? It's just amazing. Oh, there is, yeah. And we're going to jump right in with a $10,000 word called preterism. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think students of prophecy would do well to add it to their church vocabulary. And I think it's important to know because of the timing. You know, while the timing of the rapture, or even if there will be one, is endlessly debated on social media and not even very well. There are a few foundational terms when it comes to eschatology or the study of the last days that are often overlooked. Now, there are, there are a lot of $10,000 words. There's premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial. But even more foundational are terms related to the time frame of the events in total of the last days. Okay, so you follow me there? Allegorical, historical, futurist. And preterist. How am I doing so far, Jonathan? You're doing good. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, the, the allegorical, it became popular way, way early in church history, and it was, it became popular as a way to introduce um, Greek philosophy mm. and combine it with the Christian faith. And, and unfortunately, that it's a spiritualization of the text that gets away from the original intent of the author. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. It's Well, everything is symbolic and doesn't really refer to futuristic events. I don't know, I think that would be exhausting trying to figure that out. Yeah, and those <laughs> who take that approach don't even agree among themselves mm. what, you know, what should be taken literal or what should be spiritualized. Right, right. Well, then we have the historic, historical, and that is simply the meaning of an event has to be in the context of history. Now, it looks at the whole of Bible prophecy as sort of a sweeping overview of church history from Pentecost to the end times. So then you would have to, again, do interpretive symbols or figures as metaphors, uh, as nations or people in history. Again, that's got to be exhausting, too. Yeah, it is, yeah. And, you know, it's it's so clear that we live in the last days and that, that history is is leading up to this, but it's so sad that so many people do not see that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And then the futurist view, which we are, um, mm -hmm. it says Revelation 4 to 22 has yet to take place. And in fact, I love this, Revelation 119 already divides the book up into what you have seen, what is, and what will take place later. I mean, that's pretty straight up front, right? Yes, yes, it is. And you know, really, the the very first words of, of the book are the revelation of Jesus Christ, and the whole book is about Him, and and that's one of my passions is to defend the book of Revelation because it's, we're not just defend, defending a book; we're defending Jesus, and mm -hmm. it just shows His glory all the way through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why even study prophecy if if those other views are? in fact, true, because like you said, Revelation, the revealing, which means there's something yet to learn. Now, you have a great article, uh, The Perils of Preterism, and we want to focus on that this morning, because uh, you had mentioned to me that it is it is growing in the churches, and this article, you have seven points here on what it is. Um, let's, let's just go through those points and, and talk about what, and I think people are going to see it for what it is, but then we, I would like you to also address where we're finding that. So what are, what are the characteristics of preterism? Okay, first of all, it's, it starts out, well, the main theme, and I have that number three, is that Christ returned in the clouds in 70 A.D. Mm. to witness the destruction of Jerusalem by the Roman army. And based upon that, they say, you know, working backwards a little bit on my list, the mm -hmm. tribulation period is already over it. It occurred when the Roman army besieged Jerusalem in A.D. 66 to 70, and therefore they um, they say that Nero was the Antichrist, and there will be no future individual Antichrist. And then, of course, you go down, and this is where it's it's very similar to millennialism in that in that you know they say God replaced the Old Testament Israel with the church, therefore all biblical promises belong to Israel in a spiritual sense. And, and of course, they would say that Armageddon happened in AD 70. And then um, they say that Satan is already bound. And that is just, that is so ridiculous because it, 
it contradicts the words of Scripture. You know, Paul certainly didn't believe that, that Satan was bound. But anyways, and then they say that we're already in the millennium, but it is not literal. And some some preterists equate the entire church age as the millennium, as to other end-time positions. And so, you know, there's there are varieties within the preterists, um, themselves, you know, there are the mild preterists, and and there are the more radical ones who believe that that even now we're in the eternal state. But there are the more extreme ones, and and then still you have some preterists who um, who believe that the resurrection of of the saints is described in First Corinthians fifteen and Philippians three. They say that that has already happened. That happened at our our conversion at our regeneration which is really totally off the wall you know that's outside the outside the halls of of orthodoxy you might mm-hmm. say um but there are some preterists who do believe in a bodily resurrection of of the saints and i was surprised to see that rc sproul who is a mm-hmm. preterist does believe in the in sort of a rapture with the resurrection of the saints of course i don't know where he puts it because if you don't believe in in a millennium or the tribulation it's just kind of hanging out there in the future that is that is really quite alarming to say that satan is already bound um i heard somebody say his chain is way too long if that's the case um wow that yeah that's just amazing so so what um what are some of what are some of the Really strong reasons why we have to reject this teaching, and, and who are there? Is it becoming part of the evangelical scene, or is it mostly um, uh, Protestant denominations? Where are the preterists these days? Is is it becoming increasingly more of a belief system? Um, I believe it is. I've been surprised at who I've run across. You know, people that grew up in in my church in, in Rockford, where we had Jack Van Impke come visit <laughs> us. And I know I'm dating myself, but, <laughs> but we had you know even some of them have become preterists, which which really shocks me. And I believe that we'd be surprised at how many. Uh, maybe assistant pastors or pastors actually believe this, but they're just very silent ab- about it. And I actually, you know, have run across this in in some pastors, and it's just it is really really revolting because it's, it's just impossible to place Jesus. Um, second coming in AD 70. You look at what the Bible says about that. It's this glorious, spectacular return. So how can you say that this happened? And, and when we get into the area of church history, you find that, that all the church fathers after that, you know, still look forward to, um, Jesus second coming is a, is a future event. And these were, the honored theologians of the time, and they were premillennial, and they looked forward to Jesus' return. Well, didn't they have to change actual the writing of the timing of John being on Patmos to make this fit? Don't they have to kind of torture the timeline a little bit? Yes, they do, and they say that that John wrote it in 65 A.D., and then all his prophecies were fulfilled in 70 A.D., or, or most of them. But that's really difficult to do as well, because, well, for, for instance, Irenaeus, who um, was a, 
highly respected church father of the second century, but he grew up in the church at Smyrna. In fact, he was um, discipled in the faith by a guy named Polycarp, and Polycarp was discipled in the faith by the Apostle John. So you have this direct, you have this direct chain, and even though um, Irenaeus was born in the second century, um, you know, in, in the church at, at Smyrna, they would have known when that book arrived, and they placed it late in the, the reign of Emperor Domitian, and that, and his reign ended in 96 AD, and there's just so much else that contradicts it. You have the testimony of church mm-hmm. history, and you also have the fact that, that Leo, Laodicea, the, the town of Laodicea had a, a devastating earthquake in about 60 or 61 AD, and they were still digging out from that and recovering, um, in 65 AD when, mm. when, um, when the Lord was saying, you know, you're rich, you have need of nothing. That didn't describe them at that point, but it did 30 years, 35 years later, it would have described them. And so you have that, that time frame. It's just like us with 9-11. The further we get away from it, the more people forget about it. And, and, and a lot of people are born that, that don't even remember it or were not alive at the mm-hmm. time. You get away from it. And the same thing with the earthquake at Laodicea, because there's no way they would have had this proud, smug attitude that that the Lord hmm. says they had um, by, in 65 A.D. Wow. wow, that is very, very interesting. Um, I'm looking at your seven points here, and any one of these, you could just uh, go off on any one of these. Armageddon already happened in 70 A.D., so this is the whole world is post post-apocalyptic i mean the, i mean it just it just you look at these and you think how can anyone believe this i was reading an article on the history of preterism um mm-hmm. and you can take some of this for what it's worth but i think there's an interesting point the father of american preterism is moses stewart 1780 to 1852 of andover seminary who introduced preterism to the u.s in about 1842 uh he mm-hmm. says he did a commentary on the apocalypse a two-volume work that taught the milder form of preterism that prophesied the defeat of God's two ancient enemies, Israel and the Roman Empire. So now we're digging into replacement theology, uh, claiming that Israel is God's great enemy. Um, I mean, what about Israel and all this? Obviously, you you and I would say um, we're in the dispensation. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's it's the church and Israel are two completely different um, things that God will be working through differently. Um, what about this? And what about Reconstructionism? I mean, that's got to fit in here somewhere too. Dominion theology. Can you break that down for us about about both of those things? Yes. Well, the Old Testament, if you take it literally, which we do, and you don't retrofit it with mm-hmm. um, human wisdom, it's very clear that that God has a plan and a future purpose for Israel. Even reading through the Psalms, you get. You see God's love for Jerusalem and Zion. It comes out so clearly. And I'm, I talk about the fact that, let's see if I can find the point, that it really, not only does it nullify what what Scripture says, it also um, contradicts what the Bible says about God's character. Because, you know, God in, well, let me go back. 
in Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 22, you know, the Lord says, you know, it's not for you, Israel, that I'm going to restore it. It's because that I have to defend my holy character. In other words, God's saying, I made these promises to Israel. I made these covenants with Israel, and I must be true to them. I must, you know, Mm -hmm. defend my character. And then he goes on to talk about all these blessings for Israel and the rest of that chapter. And these blessings have not been fulfilled. Not to any measure has Israel ever experienced them, but they will someday. And in most all of the Old Testament prophets, you know, they'll talk about God's judgment coming upon Judah or upon Israel, but they'll always end with the fact, but yes, God's going to restore. This mm-hmm. isn't the end of Israel. Mm-hmm. God's going to restore you someday. And Zechariah talks about Jesus being um, a king over all of, of his, all of the world, and he's reigning from the, the city of Jerusalem. And so there's this this aspect that unless you over overlay it with with spiritualized interpretations and try to ref, retrofit them retrofit them to modern interpretations, they tell us that there will be a future res, restoration of Israel. Yes, yes, and absolutely, and I think that spiritualizing revelation is probably a huge motive for those who don't believe that, who who maybe are. Um, replacement theologians, anti-Semitic. Um, that's a that's a way out for them to not have to deal with the fact that God is still going to deal with Israel for seven years. So I think that mm-hmm. there's just a lot of ill motives with all these other views, and the oh, fu- yeah. you know the futurist view is really clearly the only uh, possible view. Very very interesting. Um, and you talk about why we must reject this teaching. Number one, nullify, it nullifies what the Bible says about Jesus' future glory and also mm-hmm. making the nations his heritage. You know, Jesus will physically govern the nations. What, what's the point of denying that? I don't understand why the millennium has to be denied. That doesn't make any sense to me. You also say it pours cold water on our blessed mm-hmm. hope. Um, absolutely it does, as, okay. as are all the social media posts that say, oh, there's no rapture, so just get up, get on with your, with your life. So, um, and then you say it contradicts what scripture reveals about God's character, which is what we just covered. And, um, and then there's this untenable, uh, view of church history that is, uh, preterism is rife with that, and we talked about that a little bit about the time frame. Um, so it, it is, it is completely untenable, and yet, um, people are, gravitating towards that. They don't seem to want the blessed hope. What's up with that, Jonathan? I have I have no idea. You know, that's really a good question. And it seems as though, you know, Satan has been attacking the first book of the Bible, Genesis, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And now is is the end times are here, he's, he's attacking the book of Revelation. He's been doing that for over a century. He's been, well, actually, he's been doing it since the time of Augustine. But there's been this attack, and I really don't understand it. And it's very clear, you know, even, you know, looking at, um, you know, 1 Corinthians 15, you know, we have a hope that we're going to have new resurrected bodies, and it's going to take place when Jesus comes for us. And I like, you know, what Ed Heinsohn said. He said that, you know, he said, the, you know, the, the rapture is a biblical event, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, regardless of where you place it, 
if the rapture isn't true, then the Bible's not true. Mm-hmm. You know, it does. You know, he wasn't talking about a pre-trib rapture. He's just saying the Bible describes this event where Jesus appears and and raises the dead in Christ and catches us up in the clouds with with resurrected, with immortal, glorified bodies, and that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, one of my frustrations is that pastors can say that. If they want to avoid talking about the rapture, they can, but they can talk about our resurrected bodies. I mean, even Mary and Martha in John 11, they believed in a, in a resurrection. You know, I, I forget which one told told Jesus, you know, when Jesus said, Lazarus will rise again, you know, I, I yeah, I think it was Martha that said it. Yes, we know we believe that he'll rise again in the last day, and then Jesus pointed out to her that that it was going to be much much sooner than that. And of course, then he went on to raise him from the dead. But it, it doesn't, you know, it's not that. Um, what shall I say? It's not that far out to believe that Jesus is going to raise us from the dead someday. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I've noticed uh, every once in a while they will run across an argument about the rapture. And I say argument because a lot of the people that post it originally have not done their homework. They're mimicking something or they're repeating something that they read by some other person with another spin on prophecy. And they always start these posts by saying, oh, this is a non-essential. Jonathan, as we get closer and closer and things get darker and darker, I don't think I could ever say and I, I, I wouldn't anyway, but that this is a non-essential doctrine? What is, why do people say that? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it boggles my mind. And, yeah, you know, and then I have been in churches where they, where they said that. They used the word tertiary, that, you know, they, they, they rank them. In fact, the, in fact, the, the church that we recently left because, because of their, um, a millennial stand, even though the pastor told me originally he believed in the pre-tribulation rapture, you know they're going to to, to rank the to, to rank doctrines. You know you have mm-hmm. to you have to believe in you have to believe in these doctrines to you know to become a member of the church. You have to believe in these doctrines if you're going to be in leadership. And then there's these tertiary or third rank doctrines that that you know we can disagree on in and all the different eschatological positions that deal with the end times are in that third category. Mm-hmm. In other words, we don't want to, we don't want to disturb people. And I think the, the lie that so many of these churches that, uh, that are trying to, that are emphasizing church growth and don't want the word rapture mm-hmm. to interfere with the, the, the church growth, your church growth, they don't realize that there are people out there who who are hungry for this hope, yeah. and the churches that are emphasizing the pre-trib rapture, like Jack Hibbs Church in, in California, are growing by leaps and bounds mm-hmm. because people come there and they hear that there is a message of hope for these dark times in which we live. Yes, and we need all the coping skills we can get. Um, you, we're going to just transition here to another great article, and it's called The Forgotten Resurrection. Why do so many pastors hide this glorious truth from the saints? So we're going to continue this conversation, and you open this article with, we hear excellent presentations of the gospel, but they end without an ending. Tell us what you mean by that. Um <clears throat> Well, they they end without talking about eternal life, and and you know, and this has been 
a, a growing frustration of mine. You know, you hear excellent presentations of the gospel, but not one word about eternal life. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you might hear, uh, you know, a, a, a sermon in the end with the gospel, and there's no mention of eternal life, but the pastor will will mention glory in his prayer, but what does that mean to to someone who's sitting in the pews who's unfamiliar with the Bible? Okay, I can have my sins forgiven, but um, is that just for this life, or is that for the next? And there's no mention of what it means to have eternal life, and and some will quote John 3.16, you know, but what does glory or everlasting life signify apart from what the New Testament tells us? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I had, I had someone ask me um, a couple of years ago, how do you know that it's all true? And I said, well, and this is a believer. And I said, well, the resurrection, Jesus mm-hmm. rose again. That is our hope. And anybody who takes that out of the equation, it reminds me of First uh, Corinthians fifteen nineteen. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Yes, and that, yeah, that's the forgotten resurrection that I'm talking about, and that, and, you know, I think this verse is one of the most overlooked verses, Mm -hmm. you know, especially in the church growth movement, that, you know, they're, they want to bring people in, but if they're only talking about hope in this life, Mm -hmm. then we're most to be pitied, and, yeah, and it was really, you know, the, my belief in the resurrection of Jesus that that got me through the difficult times. You know, when I when I thought that all was lost at one point in my life, it was just that okay, there's nowhere else to go, there's nowhere else to run because only Jesus has the words of life. Only mm-hmm. He rose from the dead, mm-hmm. and that was kind of the the bedrock that I fell against. And then after that, you know, the Lord brought me back, but. But yeah, there's nowhere else to go once you're, once you know that Jesus rose from the dead. And it's not just a feeling, it's, it's verified by history. There's no other explanation for the empty tomb. And these church growth and secret churches aren't doing anyone any favors by, by having uh, the temporality of this life being their focus because now you have people who think that Christianity is just gonna, you know, maybe make their marriage better, maybe, or, you know, it'll solve all their problems in this life. And then, and then when that doesn't happen the way they think, because they're unconverted, possibly, then they lose, they, they fall away because there was nothing to grab onto. And if we don't have eternity on the front burner, then I, I don't know, I don't know how people get up in the morning. I've said this so many times. You probably have too. How do people get up in the morning without that hope? What is that hope in the resurrection? So, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah, I know that. That J.D. Farag, we, we watch him some, but oh. <laughs> I just love his personality. Yeah. But, you know, he talks about about how the fact that he would be pulling his hair out <laughs> if it wasn't for his hope in the resurrection. Then, yeah. And then he makes reference to how he's losing his hair, but but that's so true. <laughs> you know, I think that if, if someone who writes out prophecy, I probably see more of what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, in my research, and I just... Oh, that the evil, the wickedness, the deception that's there, you know, and this, and the temptation just to get really angry, you know, and mm-hmm. I know that Psalm 37 is, is key, and so Psalm 73, just knowing that God's going to take care of these things, and Psalm 94, and some, 
many times I have to go to these psalms yeah. just to calm down and say, okay, God's mm-hmm. going to judge, He's going to take us out of the world, but oh, the hope that we have is just so glorious and so wonderful, yes. and it's all centered in Jesus. Yes, it really, really is. You know, and you, you say at one point someone might ask, what's the big deal as long as the gospel is proclaimed and people respond? What difference does it make? And people may, the listeners may be thinking that, um, but it's almost like they don't want to talk about the rapture. Why is, and you say, why is telling people that Jesus offers them a glorious future with resurrection bodies more offensive than telling them they're sinners in need of God's forgiveness? What am I not seeing here? I totally agree with that. I mean, uh, they don't want to talk about the rapture. They just, I understand, but but uh, I agree with you completely that that resurrection, um, that the new bodies and all of that is a tremendous comfort along with your psalms, of course. So we only have a minute left, Jonathan. Um, we're going to talk about uh, fascism, echoes of fascism coming up next. Um, anything else you want to add real quick to this discussion of the resurrection? Uh, no, just, uh, okay. just the fact, that, oh, I know one of the thoughts I had was that, you know, believers that don't hear about their hope, they're not prepared for what might be coming, because, yeah. you know, I believe the rapture can happen at any moment, but if it doesn't, we may face very difficult times mm-hmm. ahead, and believers who don't know about their hope are not prepared yes, for it. absolutely, and their families need to be prepared, their kids need to be prepared. Um, talking to our kids in language they can understand is important. And in the next uh, segment here, um, we're talking to Jonathan Brentner, uh, JonathanBrentner.com, and we're going to talk about fascism and how you wandered into Habakkuk when you wrote this article. Very, very interesting. So, again, my name is Mary Danielson. You're listening to Stand Up for the Truth. We are listener-supported, and we so appreciate everyone uh, who helps keep us going. And uh, um, so we're going to take a break here, a couple of minutes, and then, like I said, we're going to come back and talk about fascism. We're going to talk about the U.N. summit that happened last week. We haven't had much time to unpack that, so we're definitely going to talk about to see uh, exactly what is going on and what their plan is even into 2024. So that'll tease the next segment a little bit. Again, join us. uh, We'll be back in two minutes. Join us for more with Jonathan Brentner. Our social media pages are shadow banned. Thanks for your prayers and sharing our posts at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth for this Tuesday morning. We have Jonathan Brentner as a guest. And you can go to JonathanBrentner.com for some very thoughtful and hopeful articles, especially I think there's a lot of weary travelers out there. Um, it just seems like people are dragging a little bit. And I, I love your, uh, the blog is called Our Journey Home. So that tells you an awful lot about where Jonathan's heart is at. And we have a, um, an article here called Echoes of Fascism by Jonathan, Recent Events That Don't Bode Well for America's Future. And Jonathan, there are so many passages of Scripture that are jumping off the page like they didn't, say, 30 years ago, 10 years ago, even five. And you talk in this article about Habakkuk 1, 2-4, specifically, and his lament that should be recognizable to us in 2023. And I'm just going to read those verses, and then we can go from there. And that says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. 
Wow. So who was he talking to at the time, Jonathan? And let's just connect some dots here. Okay, he was talking to the excuse me, the ancient um, country of, of Judah, the southern country that was sort of divided after the split with the northern Israel going after Jeroboam and, and the kings after him. <clears throat> excuse me, but he was talking to to them, and he was lamenting really what he saw in ancient Israel, and he was recounting that to the Lord, and it was almost, you know, don't you see what's happening, Lord? And and the way I connected to, to our day, even though he was talking to Judah, and his words specifically apply to them, it's the same Lord, the same God, mm-hmm. and he also sees what's happening in America, because mm-hmm. that's what I'm most familiar with. And in America, you know, I believe things are I progress so that they're far worse than mm-hmm. what was going on in Judah's day during the time of Habakkuk. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the Lord did respond telling, telling Habakkuk that, that, you know, the Babylonians or the Chaldeans, as he refers to in the passage, you know, they were coming, they're on their way and that they were going to judge Israel for their sins or the, the southern kingdom of Judah. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and it's just... It's angering. You know, you mentioned something about um, how Trump has been treated and just uh, the Constitution's being turned on its head. Everything is up for grabs. And it, it, it can really make a person angry. And, and I know that reading Habakkuk is, is comforting because there's nothing new under the sun, right? And also the Psalms that you mentioned before, to go to the Psalms and find um, like 37, 94, 73 is another one. You know, until I went to the house of the Lord, I didn't understand mm-hmm. how the wicked got away with so much until I went to the house of the Lord. Yeah. And then I understood their end. I mean, that is a fantastic psalm for today. How can we deal with the anger? How do, how do we, when we find ourselves thinking that we can't take one more minute of injustice because God's the author of justice, how, mm-hmm. how what can we do to just, uh, you know, David says, why are you cast down on my soul? I love that David talks to himself. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we have to ask ourselves that, right? And what can we do to, to calm all that and kind of rise above it? Um, I just, just knowing that God sees what's going on and that he is going to act at some point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's always a comfort for me. Mm-hmm. And, and I see that you know, so many people say, oh, and everybody's getting away with stuff, but really... They are not, mm-hmm. and can, there's all all these complaints about. Well, so and so is not going to jail, and they did all these wicked things. Right. And in some ways, you know, I tend to think it might be an advantage for some of these evil players to get arrested and, and end up in jail for the rest of their lives or for a long term, because then they could see that there is um, a result for their for their um, actions and for their their crimes. Mm-hmm. I think of, of Charles Colson and when he, you know, he was sent to jail, and that was probably one of the best things that ever hap- hap- mm-hmm. excuse me, happened to him because he found Jesus and mm-hmm. became a leader in the in Christian movement and, and founded, um, you know, the the Prisoners for Jesus, of that movement, and many people came to the Lord because he was sent to jail. Mm-hmm. Wow. And you also offer a really good question to ask ourselves is, what did I think the last days before the tribulation would look like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I have to credit Jan Markell for that. You know, she's the one that that often says things similar to that. Mm-hmm. 
and, and I know there are other prophecy speakers that say that as well, but as Jan Markell, you know, that I think, yeah, you know, as I look at what's going around, it's sad and it's mm-hmm. depressing, but but it's also encouraging because the Bible says the last days would look like this. Yes, and when, when you're younger in the Lord and younger in life, you still have one eye to your future and you're still studying Bible prophecy because it's not as three-dimensional at that time. And it wasn't for me. I got saved in the 80s. It wasn't real three-dimensional. By faith, I knew it was going to happen exactly the way I was being taught, but... It wasn't 3D. Now we have a 3D printer and it's cranking out all of these incredible things. J.B. Hickson last week said, this is a planetary penitentiary that we're in. You know, the bars are falling, the gates are locking, and there's a lot of really bad stuff that's coming down the pike. But again, we have to ask ourselves, even if you only know a little bit about prophecy, the days of Noah, the days of Lot, what in the world do we expect, right? Yeah, and even though some of the wickedness in in America just goes beyond what I thought was even mm-hmm. possible 10 years ago. I exist with him. Yeah. And, you know, maybe I was naive, but boy, you know, maybe they were going on at that time. But mm-hmm. now the things that have come to light, it's mm-hmm. just with the sex trafficking mm-hmm. and just the sacrificing of children that they talk about in Hollywood yes. and the abortion and infanticide of thinking, mm-hmm. how much longer can it be, Lord, before yeah. before you do to America what you did to mm-hmm. Israel? Mm-hmm. And but I also believe that that the Lord that the rapture is going to happen before God severely judges America. Mm-hmm. I think He's already judging us, and the and the things that are going to bring us down are already mm-hmm. happening. But I think, but I believe that that the rapture will happen, and then then judgment will fall not long after that mm-hmm. on America. Yeah, and it doesn't really matter whether America is in prophecy or not because it's. Things are going to happen the way they're going to happen. And there's a lot of countries that are in prophecy. In fact, most of them are not in, mentioned mm-hmm. in prophecy. You mentioned something about the WEF. Last week, I think it was Klaus Schwab, he said to leaders of the world, you better get on board with the WEF because if you don't, you will be left out. He basically ordered them to get on board with the agenda of the WEF. And there's an arrogance there, you know, yeah. that we have not seen on the world scene. These elites are very emboldened, aren't they? Um, yes, they are. And they, yeah, they, they're very demanding, very emboldened. But yet, and what we're going to talk about a little bit is that their seven-year action plan, you know, they basically admit that they're falling behind mm. and that they're not meeting their standards. And it's, it's a call for the nations to really step up and say, okay, we've got to get to this place. And, and, um, yeah, my friend and prophecy expert Terry James, he wrote an excellent article called The Crisis. And he talks about all, about how all the things are just shaping up, but the Lord's holding back. And the, the, the crisis that they're really waiting for, well, they don't even, even though many of them may not know they're waiting for the rapture, is that when the mm-hmm. rapture happens, that's going to be the crisis that enables yep. them to move forward. Yep. But, but things aren't going as well for these globalists as, as they, as they had hoped. And, and Terry James does an excellent job in that article, The Crisis, of, of explaining how, you know, the Lord's holding things back. But boy, once the rapture happens, mm-hmm everything's going to be unleashed. Yes, absolutely. And you can find that article. I just read it a couple of days ago. It's, I think it's on raptureready.com. 
is. Yeah, okay, that's where people can find that. And then Habakkuk uh, 2.4, I really like this. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. I like that. Wait for it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I, I just think um, we really, really need to hide ourselves in the Lord and in promises, promises and just trust in his promises. You also mentioned something about if fascism gets to a certain boiling point in this country, will more of uh, Israelis or Jews leave America and go back to Israel, which would also be continued fulfilled prophecy because so far since 1948, 3.3 million Jews have gone back to the homeland from all over the world, reversing the diaspora. But yeah. now the U.S. has been kind of slow, right? In 2021, 5,000 went to Israel, but that's even on the low side, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, you know, with, with COVID, COVID mm-hmm. and, the, and the opposition to Jewish people in, in Europe, and now the war in Ukraine mm-hmm. has led to a lot of uh, Jewish people from from Europe being flooded down into into Israel, and they've had a lot of of immigrants from Ukraine moving there, but there's still a lot of of Jewish people in in New York and in Los Angeles in particular, and you know I, I just wonder if there's going to be um, sort of a mass exodus at some point mm. of those heading for. Um, for the nation of Israel, but I guess we'll see mm-hmm. as time goes on. Maybe, you know, maybe during the, the early years of the tribulation it'll happen, maybe before, we just don't know. Yeah, well, wouldn't it be just like our God to do that in the midst of all this insanity? People getting saved, Jews going back to their homeland. Um, it, it just That's just the Lord, you know, turning something so horrible and yet seeing his hand. So I do want to move on to the UN summit from last week. Um, uh, your head, your article is entitled, Is the UN's proposed seven year plan prophetically significant? Again, these can all be found on jonathanbrentner.com. Um, we talked about this briefly on the podcast last week, but we haven't unwrapped it yet. Um, this is some of the more interesting takeaways, including the upfront idea that, quote, the world desperately needs a rescue plan and we are at a turning point. We need to be rescued from the global elite is my number one thought on that because it's a crisis of their own making. But, Jonathan, somebody's foot is on the accelerator. So tell us about this time frame and why this could really be significant. Yes, it, well, it's, it's rather eerie. And this is not, by the way, the... the um, the seven-year um, covenant that the Antichrist will make with Israel. It's not that, but it is significant that they're talking about um, a seven-year plan, and it's also significant that they want, that they're still committed to getting this one-world government in place by 2030, and we believe that the rapture will happen before that, mm-hmm. at least I'm fairly certain it will, mm-hmm. and and then, you know, from that, in this article, I go on to talk about how, you know, they, they need the seven years of, of growth, but then, you know, God's Word talks about another seven years, um, Daniel's 70th week, and I just kind I go through in this, in this article showing, showing why we can have absolute confidence that the 70th week has not yet been fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Wow, yes. And, and of course, the preterists that we opened up the show with, they wouldn't be interested in Daniel's 70th week, would they? 
No, no, <laughs> they would think that it's all in the past. Right. It's already all been fulfilled. But, you know, I just, you know, what I, what I was hoping is that I would take people step by step, or believers, I should say, step by step through, um, through the prophecy, what it means, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and all the different times in which it could have been fulfilled, but they were just precursors. Mm-hmm. And then I talk about the fact that why it couldn't have been fulfilled um, with Titus when he destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in 70 A.D. And I talk about why that's, in, that's impossible to say that um, that action fulfilled the prophecy. Right, right, the abomination of desolation. Um, yes, and if you uh, feel free to go through uh, Daniel as much as you want in the time we have left. We don't have a lot of time left, but we certainly could go through that if you want. Is that something that you wanted to, to go into detail on? Um, I, I guess, I guess, well, you know, you, I can just briefly sum okay. up, yeah. you know, where, where I take people, you know, because, you know, Daniel in Daniel um, 9.27 talks about um, the abomination of the desolation when the Antichrist defiles the temple. And then there was a precursor to this with Antiochus Epiphanes, um, you know, sacrificing a pig in the temple, you know, in between the Old and the New Testament. But that couldn't be it, because when you get to uh, Matthew twenty four fifteen, um, Jesus says that that it's going to be future, it's going to be a sign of a second coming, it's going to be a sign for, for the Jewish people primarily that, that he's coming. Mm-hmm. And, and then after Jesus spoke those words, of course, then you had Titus who destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, but that couldn't be the, the, um, the fulfillment of these words either, because when you get to Second Thessalonians 2, um, Paul refers to this abomination of desolation, and, you know, when he talks about the fact that, you know, this man of lawlessness will exalt himself against every god or god of worship, so that he takes seed in the temple of, of God, proclaiming himself to be God. But then Paul goes on to say, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth mm. and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So that makes it impossible for for Titus to have been the Antichrist that defiles the temple mm-hmm. because the Lord Jesus didn't kill him in 70 A.D. If, you know, he didn't return, he didn't kill them, so that means it's still future. And then, of course, I talk about John writing in in 95 A.D., and then Irenaeus, again, you know, he wrote about this, too, and in his book against, against heresies, and I'll, he, he said this, he said, but, but when the Antichrist shall have devastated all things in this world, he'll reign for three years and six months, and sit in the temple in Jerusalem, and then the Lord will come from heaven in the clouds, and the glory of the Father sending this man and those who follow him into the lake of fire, bringing in for the righteous times of the kingdom. And it's very interesting because Irenaeus was writing 110 years after Titus destroyed the mm. temple. And so when he's writing, there's no Israel, there's no temple, there's no, no really no Jerusalem to speak of, but yet he's saying that 
that, yes, there's going to be a time when the Antichrist comes and defiles that temple. And I just, I added that just to show that, that the early church still looked for this Antichrist who would defile the temple. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that's an excellent summary of, of how important it is to understand um, these verses in Daniel, you say those that deny the restoration of a kingdom for Israel won't place any prophetic significance in the UN's seven-year plan. And again, that's because they claim that the 70 weeks is no longer relevant because the church is now God's kingdom on earth. It's just, it's just there are so many things wrong with that theologically. And it's, and I really encourage people to study these verses and then <clears throat> understand what is going on in the world? Like you said, we don't do date setting. We don't know anything about the seven years necessarily. But they are looking for, and they call, they say, an accelerated, sustained, transformative action, both nationally and internationally. And their blueprint, <clears throat> excuse me, their blueprint is these sustainable development goals, and you can find those anywhere online. Basically mm-hmm. making the world, uh, I don't know, perfect, no poverty, no hunger, education for all, gender equality, clean water and sanitation, mm-hmm. energy, you know, people and earth, it's all in there, you know, peace, justice, yeah. all that. Uh, this is their blueprint for running the world. And they also said, Jonathan, at next year's summit, because they do this every year, uh, they're scheduled to adopt something called a pact for the future. And the key part of that is they want to put in place, quote, stronger international response playbook for any unforeseen coming global shocks. Wow. Oh, I don't yeah. like the rapture or, I don't know, a fake yeah. pandemic or alien invasion, Jonathan. Maybe it'll be that. <laughs> yeah, and you see this so much with the the, the World Economic Forum, mm-hmm. the WEF, and the UN. You know, it's almost like they know something is coming. Yeah. They know that <laughs> that there's going to be a shock, and they're, in a sense, preparing for it. And, you know, and I don't know really what their thinking is, but I... Mm-hmm believe that Satan is revealing things to them, mm-hmm. because these people are driven by Satan. And if you look at the details of these these goals, they sound so great, yeah. but you look at the, the details, and it's total control by the government. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, it's them controlling every aspect of our lives. Right. And it's these same people that are promoting this this wonderful-sounding 17 goals, well, some of them sound wonderful, not all of them. Right. You know, they're the same people that, like Harari, Yuval Harari, who said, well, most people on the planet are useless eaters. Yeah. <laughs> and so you can, you can see that they don't have a high view of people in general, mm-hmm. and they want to reduce the population, but they're making it sound as though their, their plan is this, is this, Utopia, the Shangri-La, where everybody will be peaceful and happy, but mm-hmm. it'll be just the opposite mm-hmm. of that. We have a mighty bright future, but the world there's going to be a lot of darkness. And like you said, these these goals have a very dark side to them. And also, they included. I was really surprised at the last minute. Saudi Arabia's um, being there at the UN wanted to include a day about the peace plan. I thought that was mm-hmm. very interesting. And you said that Netanyahu's speech was interesting. What what were your takeaways from that? Well, Netanyahu, um, he talked about, you know, about a solution. He talked about this peace plan with Saudi Arabia, and I don't remember his exact words, but he appeared to be very open to the idea of providing a state for for Israel. Mm. And, and some of the things that have leaked out about the negotiations are that the West Bank um, in 
the Gaza Strip, which the Palestinians control. Um, one of the solutions is that to make them part of Jordan and rename hmm. the country of Jordan. But it seems as though Saudi Arabia is not keen on that. Saudi Arabia wants a two-state solution. Mm-hmm. And so they're... And so we don't know how it's all going to play out, but Netanyahu later talked about the fact that he expects this peace deal to be to be formalized in 2024, sometime mm. in sometime in early 2024. He expects that this deal with Saudi Arabia, and mm. there was another article in the Jerusalem Post where where Netanyahu also said that you know if. If making this deal happens, he was willing to step down as prime minister and let someone else lead Israel if that was necessary to make this deal happen, which really shocked me. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, you know, I look at this and I don't believe that, that Netanyahu would, would agree to a, mm. to a two-state solution, mm-hmm. but it doesn't sound like Saudi Arabia will, will, will allow anything but a two-state solution, but yet he's hopeful of an agreement. So I really don't know what's going on there. But it's interesting because the more and more people say peace and safety, Mm -hmm. the more they are echoing the words of of 2 Thessalonians 5.3. Wow. Wow. And we think about this global peace treaty, there's a lot, it's it's complicated because there are so many parties that, that need to be made happy. You know the mm-hmm. Palestinians, and and there's so much going along going on um, along the Golan, and and the, it just seems like oh gee, we're going to have to have that that Antichrist person. I mean, it really is going to be the only way this is going to happen. I think simply because how do you make all these people happy? A two state solution, Netanyahu, as far as I know, says no way ever. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and so yeah, I believe that. That nothing's really going to get settled until yeah. until we're gone and the Antichrist appears, because he's going to be the one that'll settle it. And I tend to believe that the War of Gog and Magog will happen mm-hmm. in be- in between the rapture and um, the formalization of the Antichrist covenant mm-hmm. with with Israel, mm-hmm. even though part, maybe it's my flesh that we'd kind of like to see that battle happen, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I tend to believe that it'll happen after we're gone. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting because I've heard people say, well, if we if we saw Gog and Magog, look at all the opportunities we would have to point that out in Ezekiel and say to people, see, look here, look here, this this is fulfillment of prophecy. Even Ezekiel, the, the vision of the dry bones, even that, starting there, it was that like 35 or 36, and then through the entire Gog and Magog situation. It would be would be great to be able to have our, you know, a swan song for the church here and say, look, we told you this, here it is, study it. Um, so I agree with you on that, but that I think might be next on the schedule. I don't know, but Jonathan, look at all the stuff we've had to deal with. You know, or, or upcoming. You know, CBDCs, a global idea, cashless society, global spirituality. It's mm-hmm. just insane. Do you, we only have like a minute left, Jonathan. Any encouragement you want to leave with the listeners who are sorting all this out? Yeah, just keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Mm-hmm. Go to passages like. First uh, Corinthians 15, especially um, verses 47 on, that talk about the fact that that we now have the body of that we inherited because of Adam, but when he comes, we'll have the body mm. of Jesus. We'll have a glorified body that'll oh. be like His. Mm. And I do go to. 
First Corinthians 15 and Philippians 3 and First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians. I go to these passages often just to remind myself because yep. it's these passages. It's not. It's not what I say or what commentaries say or yeah. what, or even what I said in my books. It's what God's word says that gives yes. us the hope. Amen, Jonathan. Oh, we got it. We got to go. We could probably go on another hour, but. Uh, I just encourage people to go to jonathanbretner.com, read these uh, very thoughtful articles, fantastic stuff. Don't be unsettled in your heart and mind of what's going on in this world. Like I said, David said, why are you cast down, on my soul? Believe in God. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. We just, uh, like I said, it's gone very, very quickly. We got Jim Farrington on Thursday, Nathaniel Jeanson from AIG on Friday. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Have a great day.